I hope you're looking forward to getting into the Word of God this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Um, before we do that, let me share one more prayer request for you, Some, uh, sort of a personal prayer request, but um, also with regard to our NF churches. Uh, the church that I grew up in, Calvary Baptist Church of Preble, uh, my nephew has made a trip. Calvary Baptist, I, I, I didn't grow up here, but I did do an internship here. Calvary Baptist church, at least I didn't say Grace Baptist Church, right? Um, so Calvary Baptist Church of Messina uh, that's the church that I did indeed grow up in. Uh, my nephew is there this morning candidating um, to become the associate pastor with the view of him becoming the senior pastor over the next couple years when Pastor Lucid retires from the ministry. So the church will be voting on that proposal at the end. Uh, next, Stephen will finish there today and go back to Florida with his family, and then the church will vote on him Wednesday night at their, at their meeting. So um, if you would pray for God's will to be done there, I know that they would appreciate it very much. All right, so take your copy of the scriptures if you would. Meet me in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to continue what we started last week, but let's do a little bit of review. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about walking and specifically how the child of God should walk. You know, you and I have been transformed. We are not the same individual that we once were. Before we came to know Jesus Christ, we walked, Paul says, the way the world walks. But now that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we don't walk that way anymore. At least we shouldn't walk that way anymore. Does that mean we're going to be perfect every day of our lives? No, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to sometimes slip back into that old walk. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't write this passage of Scripture because there'd be no need for it. The Holy Spirit and Paul knew that that's what the Ephesian believers needed and also knew that we would need similar instruction down through the course of time. So it's in the pages of Scripture for our benefit. So as we've been looking over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how you and I as Christians are supposed to walk. Paul called us to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And he then went on to tell us what that worthy walk would look like. We saw, first of all, that the worthy walk looks like we walk in love. Okay, Jesus was the great example of walking in love. Okay, He loved us so much that what did he do? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. Christ died for us. What a demonstration of love. You know that famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that you and I, mankind, might have everlasting life. So the walk of love. Last week we jumped into this idea of the walk of light. And what does the walk of light look like? Well, uh, it looks like a big, uh, a, a light that opens up the darkness. You and I were in darkness. God transformed us and put us into his kingdom. He describes that kingdom as the kingdom of light. Okay? Last year, Barb got me a, a, a flashlight. Not just any flashlight, okay? Because, you know, when you have a flashlight, flashlights, are, in fact, I got a flashlight this year for Christmas from uh, Katie over in the bus garage so that we can use it when we inspect our buses, do the pre-trip inspection on that. Um, but you know what? 
it's kind of hard because you got to have your hands sometimes when you do that pre-trip inspection. You're supposed to feel around the dual wheels, make sure there's no obstructions in between those dual wheels. So how are you doing that when, you're, when you've got a flashlight in your hand? So Barb got me this flashlight that you wear as a headband. And when you push the button, it comes on really, really bright. And wherever you move your head, wherever you're looking, that flashlight shines. And it's not just one light, it's several LED lights, really tiny lights that are, form a bar across the top of your head. So it's, it's a pretty bright light. In fact, I was working with it last night. I was going to bring it and show you this morning, I forgot. Um, and when I turned it on, she said, can you please point that in some other direction than my face? Um, so yeah, I moved it off to the side a little bit so it wasn't shining in her eyes. It's really bright, okay? Um, and so... That light, when I, if, I, if I'm working on something and I need both my hands, I put that headlight on and, I, and I have my, my hands are free to do whatever it is I need to do with my hands. I don't know why we didn't come up with those kinds of things sooner, right? Um, so anyway, that's walking in light. If, you, if you're out on a path, in fact, when Rachel went on a missions trip several years ago, well, that's one of the things that they said she needed to buy, and not just a cheap one, but a good one. Go get a good headlight because the electricity is not very, uh, they don't have it all the time. So she would wear this headlight when they were out there doing different things on the missions trip. So we bought her one and dad didn't go to Harbor Freight and buy it. He went to Lowe's and bought it and so she had a decent one, okay? Um, So this idea of light shining down the path so you can see where you're going. So you don't trip and you fall, don't fall, you don't get off on the wrong path, you don't go to the wrong place, you don't end up falling off a cliff somewhere. This light guides your direction. Remember what the psalmist said, your word is a light unto my path and a guide, a light unto my feet. So as we walk down this path, we're walking in the light and of course we found out who the light is, right? Jesus said, I am the light. He lights our way out of darkness into the fellowship with his father. So we're looking last week at this light, and we were, I had great aspirations for last week that we were going to get through light and learning. Well, you see how far that got, right? We only got through the light. So this morning, we're going to finish up this third part of the walk, and we're going to talk about walking in light of our learning, okay? What have we learned? And, and I'm not just talking about on Sunday mornings in the book of Ephesians. I'm talking about what we have learned since we've been a Christian, since we've been a child of God, we should have a wealth of knowledge in our minds and in our hearts that we have learned over the years so that we can use it in our walk with God and become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We get that learning from, uh, from absolutely on Sunday mornings and on Sunday nights and special things that go on, Bible studies, a ladies' Bible study, men's breakfast, we got a, a men's adventure coming up. That's a great weekend for men to come together and to learn from God's Word. We're going to be learning from the book of Nehemiah this year in men's adventure. That's the two main sessions, and then there's three workshops where those are just as important and just as full of information from God's Word for us to learn from and to use as we, as we grow in our relationship with God. Um, 
There's, there's Christian radio, some of it's good, some of it's not good. There's Christian music, again, some of it's good, some of it could be better. Um, uh, so we have all of this at our disposal. There's lots of books. In fact, our library is, we have a bigger library now than we've ever had, and we have the, the donation of several more, probably another hundred books that we could put into the library if we have room for them. Okay, So we have a very, very big library for a church our size. God has blessed us that way. Uh, one of the results of the flood, by the way, uh, if, you want, if you're trying to figure out what good has happened since the flood or because of the flood, our library has expanded uh, immensely um, <clears throat> with good stuff. So there's lots of books that you can read and grow that will help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so as we continue this morning, we're going to look at this idea of walking in light of our learning. This is where we pick it up this morning. But let's just quickly go through last week, walk in light. How do we know that we're walking in the light? Well, first of all, there's proof that you're in the light. People that don't know Jesus Christ, where are they? They're still in the dark. They don't think that they're in the dark, but that's absolutely where they are. They're still in the dark. To know that they're not in the dark, to know that we're not in the dark, Paul said there's three things that be, should be evident in your life. One of them is goodness, second is righteousness, and third is truth. Those three things should be evident in your life, and, and they should be radiating out of you. You should be full of goodness, and not just goodness as the world would see goodness, but goodness as God would see goodness. Okay? Righteousness, not our righteousness, because remember what Isaiah said about our righteousness, it's filthy rags, but God's righteousness. We were imputed the righteousness of Christ when he died on the cross and took our place. Now we have his righteousness. What an exchange. Wow. We made out pretty well in that exchange. And then truth. We wouldn't know truth if it weren't for Christ and the transformational work that he did in our lives. So goodness, righteousness, and truth are three things that are proof that we are in the light. Then he gave us the procedure for walking in the light. There's five steps here. We'll go through them quickly. Number one, prove that what is acceptable to the Lord. And this idea of proving means that you test with the purpose of approving it. You test it and you put it through the rigors. You, you do everything that you need to do just so you, you can put your stamp of approval on it. Say, yes, this, is what it, this does what it's supposed to do. It is acceptable. You and I, there is no way for us to be acceptable to God outside of Christ and his work in our life. But because he died on the cross and, 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 and provided for us this righteousness, we now are acceptable. We are well-pleasing in the sight of our great God because of the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Secondly, he says, as part of your procedure for walking in the light, don't participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. To participate means that you, you throw your lot in with them. You're, you know, it's, it's like a team sport, Right? You're, you're going to work together for one purpose. Every team that steps on the field, they step out there with the purpose to do what? Win. They don't just step out there with the purpose to perform. They step out there with the desire and the goal to win. Hence, Yogi Berra made the statement, any given team can beat any other given team on any given day. Doesn't matter what the records are. 15-0. and 0-15. That 0-15 team goes out there on the field with the purpose of winning and beating that 15-0 team. And sometimes it happens. 
There's a purpose for what we do. And they participate as a team to make sure that they get the job done. You and I, we don't participate. We don't partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. We don't live like the world lives anymore. And we have to make sure that we're choosing not to do that. Paul wouldn't say it if it weren't something that Christians could do. Obviously, Christians can still partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. So Paul says, don't do it. Stop. Make that choice. Let your life reflect the goodness of God. Instead, he says, point out those unfruitful works of darkness. Expose them. You know how we expose them? We take the word of God and we use it as a light to shine the truth. The fact that, hey, God's, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying that that's bad. God is saying that that's wrong. God says that we weren't created for that purpose. God says that we don't do that. Our stand is on the word of God, not in what we've made up, not in our own ways. We do it God's way. And how do we do it? Not judgmental, not critical. We do it in love, the way God would do it, the way Jesus would do it. Now, yes, Jesus did use some sarcasm from time to time, like, you know, you whitewashed sepulchers. Who wants a second-hand sepulcher? You know what a sepulcher is, right? It's where they bury people. Nobody wants one of those. They want one that's been freshly hewn out of the rock, so nobody's been in it before. When Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers, they were highly offended. But he was making a point of what their lifestyle reflected. We point out, we expose the unfruitful works of darkness. We use the word of God to help others see that what they're doing is not right before God. And then last week we also said that we're supposed to be phosphorescent. And yes, pastor was keeping the alliteration going, but there's a point to that. This idea of being phosphorescent. When something glows in the dark, the only way that it glows in the dark is is after it's been exposed to the light. The longer it's been exposed to the light, the more it's going to glow in the darkness. And the longer it's going to glow in the darkness. We have these now, everybody has them, uh, rechargeable LED lights. I have a couple shining on, well, where my flag used to hang, but my flag was in pretty bad shape, so I took it down. Um, so, but you know, you're not supposed to put your flag out and let it stand in the darkness, right? You're supposed to always have a light on your flag. So I bought two of these LED lights that shine up on the flag. And you know what? In the wintertime, those two LED lights, if they make it through, they barely make it through the darkness all night long. Because they don't get enough sunlight in the daytime to charge them up. They can't shine in the darkness for very long because they haven't been exposed to the light for very long. If you and I aren't intentionally exposing ourselves to the light, and who is the light? Jesus, and where do we find out about him? In the book, of, in the Bible, in the word of God. If we're not exposing ourselves to the word of God and learning and studying it and putting it into practice in our lives for periods of time throughout the day, we're not going to shine as a light. We're not going to be phosphorescent. And lastly, he says, we want you to be productive in verse 14. He uses the word there in verse 14. Wake up! You've been sleeping long enough. Shake off the slumber. Get ready for the day. 
Stop living like you're dead because you're not dead anymore. You're alive. We're alive in Christ and we're dead to the world. You see, Paul wants us to be productive in our service for the Lord. So that's where we were last week. Let's jump into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 22. Timothy, can you pull that up on the screen? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, either go all the way back to where our scripture reading was last week or just pull it up in the online Bible. We're going to read together from the screen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 22. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word together? Somebody asked, why do we stand all the time when we read God's word? Well, we stand in honor and reverence and respect to God's word. All right, so let's read together Ephesians 5, 15 through 22. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's ask God to bless our time in his word this morning, and then you, after we pray, you may be seated. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again, thanking you for the privilege of opening up your word together. Father, we are here this morning to learn from you, to allow your spirit to teach us the things that we need to know from the pages of scripture. We ask, Father, that you would uh, allow us to learn well this morning, to um, to understand what it is that we should put into our lives that would change us, that would help us to walk better in the light and further away from the darkness. Father, thanks for preserving your word down through the years and, and allowing us to have in our hands a copy of your word that is authentic, that is true, that is accurate, that we can live our lives by and have no fear about living the wrong way if we're living by your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've already told you that we're going to learn this morning, we're going to study this morning, the second part of our outline, walk in light of our learning, okay? You see, if we walk in the light, walking in the light has to do with our actions and our lifestyle. Paul is going to bring even more clarity as to how we should walk if we intend to walk worthy of our calling. And he says that in this next section, it deals with our attitude as much as it does our actions, okay? Paul is trying, he's tying the two things together. Our attitude goes with our actions. If your actions, uh, if your attitude isn't right, it's probably not going to govern your actions to do what needs to be done. This is what he, why he tells us to walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means to walk properly, to walk right. In fact, the Greek word here is akrobos. Okay, do you hear anything in that word? Any, any, any English word that sounds like it comes out of that word? Acrobat. And we have one with us this morning. Ben's going to come, and he's going to be an acrobat for us this morning, okay? I actually had somebody ask me, um, hey, are you looking for volunteers for that? Um, and, and I said, well, I already have somebody in mind. So Ben's going to come, and, and what Ben's going to do is he's going to get up. Uh, now, I've, I've, these are not two separate boards, okay? I've screwed them together, so they're not going to come apart. Um, but you're going to go ahead, get up here, step on the bench, 
And Ben's going to walk across, don't trip on the clamp that's there, uh, he's going to walk across this beam, if you will. That's about the size, by the way, of a balance beam in the Olympics, okay, uh, that they jump up on and they do somersaults in the air and they come back and land on that beam. That's about the size of it. So go, you feel confident that you can do that? Not really. Not really? Okay. I'm going to ask you some questions when you're done, so do, so do a good job, all right? He just exhaled. No pressure. He doesn't have the right shoes on, by the way. <laughs> Got it? Yeah. All right. Uh, <clears throat> now, before you, before you go back to your seat, let me ask you. Um, when you walked across this beam, how did you do it safely? One step at a time, okay? Where was your focus? On the next step, okay? You were, you were looking at where you were going. You weren't sidetracked. You weren't looking at the snow that's actually stopped now. You weren't uh, trying to figure out how much snow did we get during the squall. Um, you were focused on one foot in front of the other to get what? Safely, right? That's what his mom was most concerned about, to get safely to the other side. This word, acrobus, Sounds like acrobat, okay? Uh, if you think about it, Ben just explained to us how he walked across that beam, okay? He, he like a tightrope walker, would walk across the beam precise, accurately. Strong's, def, Strong's Dictionary of the New Testament defines it this way. Exactly, accurately, diligently. And if that weren't enough, Vines goes on and makes these comments. Vines says, the word expresses that accuracy, which is the outcome of carefulness. Okay? The outcome that is the result of carefulness. That's what Paul is telling us when he says, I want you to walk circumspectly. It doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by circumstance, it happens by deliberate focus, by being careful, by doing what you know you need to do, one foot in front of the other, focusing on getting from one point to the next point safely. So we take this, um, we, can, we can look at this, in fact, in a lot of different ways in life. We need to walk circumspectly. Every morning when I get on the bus, I have to make sure that the bus is safe. If the bus is not safe, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to mark on my DVIR that it's got defects, and I take the keys to the mechanic, and I said, this bus is not safe because of this, this, and this. So they pull it out of service, and they give you a different bus. That's why you do a pre-trip. because You know what is the most important thing for a bus driver? Safety of the students. The students need to get from home to school without any problems, any incidences, or from school to home. That's the most important thing for a bus driver. Most important thing for us as a child of God is to walk circumspectly, to know where we're going, to know what we're doing, to know how we're going to do it one step at a time. So Paul says, here's how we do it. Here's how we walk circumspectly, and he gives us a couple of steps. Number one Paul says, salvage the time. Salvage or redeem the time. Why do we do that? Why are we supposed to redeem the time or salvage the time? 
because the days are evil. Paul wants us to understand that we're living in wicked times. And if that was true when he wrote the book of Ephesians, how much more true is it today? It it is certainly no less true today than it was when Paul wrote Ephesians. All right? So you and I are walking in evil days. So Paul says, salvage the time, redeem the time. And what are you talking about, Paul, when you say that the days are evil? Well, these evil days are times where Satan wants to confuse right and wrong. He wants us to be confused about what is right versus what is wrong. And if we were honest with ourselves today, we would probably agree that he's done a pretty good job doing that, hasn't he? Our world really doesn't have an absolute standard of right and wrong anymore. That's a choice. It's just another option for you to do life. This way or that way. Don't be critical. Don't be judgmental. Let people do life the way they want to do life and leave them alone. We need to do what? According to last week and our review this morning. We need to expose the wickedness. We need to point out what is right and what is wrong. How do we do that? What's the most effective way to point out right from wrong? God's Word? What about God's Word? What it says? Okay. What do we do with that? Sorry? By example. Okay. We live according to the light. We live according to God's Word. You know, we can talk a great talk. But if we're not living the life that backs up the talk, the talk means nothing. We can talk, but sometimes it's better to just live. Somebody said one time, you're the only Jesus, you are the only Jesus some will ever see. They may not even listen to you. They may not want to hear anything you have to say about Jesus. But if you're living Jesus in front of them, they see it. And they want to know, what's, why, you, why did you do that? Why were you concerned about my well-being there? I don't understand. And then you have the opportunity to talk about Jesus. So he says, salvage the times because the days are evil. The phrasing here is brilliant. Uh, when he uses that word redeem the time, uh, he's saying buy back every opportunity to do what is right. Why do you have to buy it back? Because Satan's already stolen it away. He's taken those opportunities away from us. The law is even sometimes taking those opportunities away from us. So Paul says, buy them back. Get them back. Take whatever opportunities, whatever you can do to get those times back to be able to communicate the truth of Jesus. Redeem them. Snatch them up. Carpe diem. Seize the day. As a child of God, if you get a little door that's open, walk through it and tell others about Jesus. Share Jesus with others. Whether it's to be a witness by what we say or by what we do, Paul says, take those opportunities that God brings your way. When we traveled around as missionaries, almost every every church we were in, I would say to them, 
Don't ask God to give you opportunities to be a witness for Him. Sometimes I would get strange looks. You know why I would say that? Because you don't have to ask for the opportunities. They're around us all the time. What we have to do is ask for the courage and the wisdom to take those opportunities and share Jesus with someone. I get it. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes they're, I don't know enough about what to say. I don't know how to say it. Can I encourage you to just trust God to start speaking about the changes that God has made in your life? Because you know what? The Holy Spirit will guide you and give you... Remember asking me about that many years ago? And, and he, he said to me, Pastor, I want to tell others about Jesus, but I don't know that I have the right words to say. And I said, well, you, you certainly won't have the right words if you say nothing. So share your story. God has given each one of us a story of redemption. And none of us have the same story. So as we tell others what God has done in our lives, it's a reminder to them, it's an expression of truth to them that, hey, if God can do that in your life, he certainly can do it in my life. That's why we ask you to give your testimony in front of the church congregation before you get baptized. So others will hear your story. And now it's not just the people that are sitting in this room, it's people that are sitting sometimes in in Africa, sometimes in uh, South Africa, sometimes in Kenya, sometimes all over the world, people tune in to hear what, what is being taught here. And we have the privilege of sharing the story of salvation with others. Redeem the times, buy them back, salvage the time, if you will. The second thing Paul says is, do not be slow, unwise. Now, let me explain this word here. This word slow, we don't use it so much in this way anymore. But when a child was growing up and they, they weren't able to develop on the same pace as the rest of their peers would develop, they were classified as slow. It wasn't meant to be a derogatory term. It was just, hey, we need to be mindful of that fact so we can help them understand and process the way the rest of the class processes. Okay, It it was never meant to be mean, nasty, uh, a label that they could never overcome. But but it was it was a truth. It was a fact. It was you know they're just not able to learn as quickly as others. So don't be slow. Or his word is unwise. Rather, but understand the will of the Lord. So he's very specific here in what he doesn't want us to be slow about. He doesn't want us to be slow in understanding God's will. What do people struggle with most in their walk with the Lord, in the Christian life? I've had so many people ask me this question. What is God's will for my life? How do I know what God wants me to do? You know, my answer always is, and if you've asked me, you know the answer to that. Start with the word of God. Start with those areas that says, this is the will of God for you. Because there's several of those in God's word. Find a lot of them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Pastor, you don't understand, I can't rejoice in that. I can't give thanks for that. Well, you can, but you have to choose to do it. But so-and-so just passed away. Okay, but where are they? Well, they're in heaven. Rejoice evermore! Yeah, but they're not in heaven. Pray without ceasing for those who they've left behind so that you have the opportunity to say, hey, let's, let's talk about where you can spend eternity. So, so we start with, this is God's will for your life. And if you, as you read the scriptures, you understand. You're not slow. If you're not reading the scriptures, guess what? You're going to be slow to understand what God's will is for your life. So we want to make sure that we're understanding. This word unwise, it means to be foolish. It means to be lacking in understanding or to, to not have good sense. In South Africa, we often use the word mind. Like, mind your hand. I'm running this through the saw. Mind your fingers. Don't, don't, don't stick your fingers in front of the blade. Mind, look out, pay attention, be on guard. Mind the stove, it's hot there. Mind the, the fire, we just put it out, there's still some hot embers in it. Be careful, be wise. Understand here, he says, do not be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. The, Lord. the word understand is the opposite of being foolish. So don't be foolish, be wise. Be understand. Actually means to put together, to think it through and to put it together. Josh and Katie gave us um, an Advent puzzle for Christmas. And they said, you have to open it before Christmas. As soon as you get home from Colorado, open it. Okay? So we opened it and it was this Advent puzzle. And in this box, there's 25 little boxes with how many, how many pieces in each box? 42 pieces in each box. 42 times 25, I don't know the math, but there's too many pieces for me. I don't mind helping Josiah put together, you know, those 25 pieces or, or even 50-piece puzzles. I'm not a puzzle guy. But Barb said, you should put some of these pieces in here. So I sat down at the table, and I started looking, and I'm looking and looking and looking. And I'm, I, you know, I picked out one, one piece that I wanted to put in. I'm looking and I'm trying to find the piece and she's, she's been influenced by her parents who have this table that's dedicated to puzzles and there's five trays on this table that um, whether the pieces have a little knob at the top, they all go on that tray and if they have a cutout in this spot, they all go on that tray. Oh, I mean, he's got five trays and he's got these two big lights to shine down on the table. I mean, they're serious about puzzles, okay? She's not quite that, well, maybe she is, but she doesn't have the stuff to be quite that serious about puzzles. So I'm looking at this place where I want to find the piece that fits there. So I'm looking and looking, about, looking for like 10 minutes for this piece that goes in that spot and then I stand up and I look down on it instead of looking at an angle. I said, oh, man, I spent the last 10 minutes looking for a, for a piece, a hole that wasn't there. It was just a dark spot in the puzzle. It wasn't a hole. It was a dark spot. So I found the next, you know, the next minute or two, I found the piece and boom, there it goes. See, I was slow in figuring it out. I couldn't put it together. And then I put two or three more pieces and I said, I'm done. That's it. I did my part. I used to 
take a piece of the puzzle and put it somewhere, some, put it somewhere where nobody else knew where it was. And when they were all done, they're like, where's that piece? You can't find that. I, I got it. Boom. Put my piece in the puzzle. Put it together. You couldn't finish it without me. God doesn't want us to be slow. He wants us to understand how to put everything together. And how do we know how to put everything together? The Word of God helps us put it all together. And let's go one step further than just the Word of God. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the Word of God to put it all together. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we couldn't do it all. We couldn't do it right. We're not to lack understanding, but we put it all together. We understand from God's Word what God's will is. We understand, we know that God's will will make sense Help us to make good choices, and we will then be in his will. You see, it all goes back to Romans chapter 12. We talked about this last week, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be slow, but understand God's will. Paul wants us to learn from his word, learn from his son, and allow his Holy Spirit to help us be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. Well, he goes on in verses 18 through 20, and I told you, I warned you about this, okay? I told you that we were going to get into something that was a little different than what other people might believe about a particular spot in this passage. We will agree with the first part, okay? I'm sure we will. Paul says, do not be saturated with wine. Or in, in, in verse 18, he says, do not be drunk with wine. Wherein is excess or dissipation. Okay? That's the first thing. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't have too much wine. But, there's that word, but... What's the next thing that Paul says? What's the substitutionary principle that, that Paul wants us to understand here? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. What's the rest of it say? Be filled. Nobody's really sure, right? Because there's a lot of different vers versions of this verse. What does it mean? Most people will tell you that Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that the Greek does not support that translation? There is nothing in the Greek to make that word spirit holy. If you had a Greek manuscript in front of you and you understood Greek, you would read that and it would say, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled in your spirit. What do you mean, Pastor? I've always learned that that was Holy Spirit. Well, that's because about 125 years ago or so, commentaries, commentators started telling us that that word was the Holy Spirit. But there's nothing in the context that would indicate that that's the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's quite the opposite in the context if we read it. There's nothing in the Greek, in the original, that would help us understand that that word is Holy Spirit. Because there is, in the Greek, there's a very definite article that when it is used, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that word is Holy Spirit. That that is the third part of the triune Godhead. It's not there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It's absent. It's missing. 
Why? Because that's not what God intended us to understand, that verse to mean. He, he never intended it to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm going to not stop loving you. I'm not going to hate you if you want to hold on to the idea that that is Holy Spirit. But that's not really the right understanding of that word. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's not going to change the meaning of the text at all. Because we're going to live based on the rest of the text the same way as if we did translate it Holy Spirit. And that's why the commentators started using the word holy and they just kind of slipped it in there. And then when we started translating the scriptures, well, we, we, made it in, we put it in there too. Holy Spirit in verse 18 of chapter 5. You notice that they don't actually put the word holy there. They just capitalize it so you think that it's the Holy Spirit. It didn't used to be that way. But be filled in your spirit. Filled in your spirit. And you say, Pastor, can you explain it a little bit more? Why, why do you think it's that? Well, first of all, if you read that verse, what is do not be drunk with wine? That is, the wine is an outside influence, right? It's something that we put into what? Our body. So what is, what is the context that Paul's setting there? It's about the child of God. Child of God, don't put wine in your body to excess. And we're not going to get into the argument of should we drink wine, should we have strong drink. I'm going to tell you that's up to you. That's between you and God. Okay? I'm not, if you want to have a conversation about that, we can have a conversation about that. You won't find any of that in our house, but that's between you and God. Okay? What is very, 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 very clear, though, is that you should never put anything into your body to excess. Don't, here's what he's saying. Don't let your body be controlled with wine, which is an external thing. Right? But instead, let your spirit be controlled with what? God's word. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart. You see, that Holy Spirit who lives within us is never going to exert. And by the way, all of you who are here this morning that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, does the Holy Spirit live in you? Let's be a little more convincing. Does he live in you? Yes! He lives in us. Does he ever leave you? No, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. Are we ever going to get any more of him? No, we got all of him at the moment of salvation. So how can you be more filled with him if you've got all of him? You can't. So what do I have to make sure? That my spirit is controlled by God. Don't let my spirit be controlled by anything outside. Let it always be controlled by God. I want to make sure that I am doing the things that God wants me to do. Another thing that we need to, that will help us understand that this is not the Holy Spirit, but it's our human spirit, is that we compare Scripture with Scripture. 
Okay? Uh, when we do, in order to rightly divide the Word of God, we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. There's a parallel passage to this Ephesians 5 passage, um, and it's another passage that Paul wrote. It's over in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Go ahead and look that up in your copy of the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. A sister passage to this Ephesians 5 passage. This is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is the word of Christ? It's the Bible, okay? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, just as you and I are to let the word of Christ or the word of God, the Bible, dwell in our spirit or in our hearts so that we're able to teach others that our spirit, that our mind is able to be controlled by these things. We are able to speak the word of God in a way that will help others see what it is that God's word is saying, okay? We want to be controlled by the word of God and not by the wine. Does the Holy Spirit need to be controlled by the word of God? No, he is God. He inspired the Word of God. It was the Holy Spirit that helped the holy men of God who were born along by the Spirit to write the Word of God. He doesn't need to be controlled by the Word of God. He is God. You and I need to be controlled by the Word of God in our spirits, in our minds, in our hearts. Not to an external thing that would be able to control us in a way that is ungodly. Radical thought, something new, something different, pastor, I don't like to have those things come up, change, maybe I'm calling you for a change in your thought process here, but like I said, if you want to hold on to that being the Holy Spirit, that's fine, I'm not going to think any, anything different of you, okay, but when we, when we rightly divide the word of truth, that's where we come down on. It's not really that radical. Here's a, here's a thought by Lenski as he comments on this passage. He says, Paul would not have attempted, and I like what he says, Paul would not have attempted the daring comparison between wine and the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. Okay? Here's why I think Paul wants us to take Wants, to, wants us to take away from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Rather than allowing our spirit to be overcome with wine, we should allow our spirit, our being, to be influenced by psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. That's why I'm a big fan of listening to Christian radio. Because whenever, like, family life right now, every year at the beginning of the year, they run this thing called the 30-day challenge. And they tell you, if you would just listen to Christian radio for the next 30 days and then evaluate your life and see where you are. See if you're, if you're more understanding of the things of God, if you're more sensitive to the, to, the, to the work of the Lord in your heart and in your life. You understand that the other stuff that's on the radio, oh, but I, I like country music. There's nothing wrong with country music. Eh, have you ever really listened to it? 
There's a, there, there's, it used to be a joke about you know, if, if you play country music backwards, you get your wife back, you get your house back, you get your car back. I, I mean, I used to like country music growing up. The, thing, the, the bad thing about country music as opposed to some of this other stuff that's on the radio, you can actually understand what they're saying in the words and how there's cheating of, you know, of a spouse going on there and there's this and there's that. He said, but I don't do that, but, it's, but you're putting it in your mind. You're allowing it to influence your mind. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. There is the Old Testament example of King Saul having his spirit influenced by musical excellence from David playing his harp. That music influenced his mind. It calmed him down. It helped him say, oh man, things not bad as I thought they were. I don't have to be angry and mad and trying to be ready to kill somebody. Going on, rather than looking to the bottle or the wine or the strong drink to help control your spirit. How many people know, and I'm not being critical here, but how many people know people that the first thing they do, they have to go home from work and they have to get a, a glass of scotch or, or this or, or a wine, a bottle of wine or a glass of wine to, to help them what? Unwind. Do you really need that to Unwind. Not according to Scripture. What do we need to unwind? We need to psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart. Don't look to that bottle. Look to God and give Him thanks for what He's doing in your life. Give Him thanks for all that He's accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, Don't submit to Satan's lie about the use of, of alcohol and the innocence of it. Again, I'm not here to preach about the banning of alcohol, okay? That's, that's something that you and God have to come to terms with, okay? But don't, Satan's lie is that there's nothing wrong with it, there's no harm in it, it can't do anything to you. Submit rather, he says. Now, this is where it gets a little more difficult. If you, if you think that my suggestion that Ephesians 5.18 is, is man's spirit and not Holy Spirit, this is even going to be more difficult for you to comprehend, maybe. What he says here is rather than submit to the external effects of something else, you need to submit to one another. And you need to seek the advice and the assistance of other godly people that will help you with the things that you struggle with. That's why God has placed you and I into this body, the body of Christ. He knows, God knows that we can't do the Christian life all by ourselves. So he puts us in the body so that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who will help us do the work of Christ and help us grow and help us in our walk, help us to walk worthy of the calling that he has called us to. We, we, we need to understand that when we have a need in our life, we let the body know so the body can help one another. He says over in Galatians chapter 6, he gives us some pretty good information. Let me just read it for you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. He says that we are supposed to reach out and to help others. Look at what it says. Um, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Therefore, in verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. But you know what that last phrase is? 
especially to those who are of the household of faith. We start within the body, and then we work with outside of the body. After we've exhausted the opportunities to help those in the household of faith, or if there aren't any to help in the household of faith, start looking outward to help others, or continue to help by looking outward and helping others. God placed us in the body of Christ so that we could help each other grow. He says we're supposed to stir one another up unto what? Good works. That word stir is like the agitator in your washing machine. They tell us, I know a lot of people have these front loaders, but you know what they're finding more and more? They're not as good as the old top loader that you put in. It has an agitator and it spins around. Your clothes get cleaner with an agitator. See, agitators can be good things. You and I in the body of Christ, we're to agitate one another to do what is right in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. You see, this kind of lifestyle, when we live this way, we walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. A walk that is characterized by walking in the light, walking in love, and walking in the learning and understanding of God's word. And God's will. So when we put all these three walks together, we understand this, that we are now walking worthy of the calling. Walk in love, walk in light, walk rightly dividing the word of truth. This kind of lifestyle leads us to that worthy walk. And that walk, it's characterized by, it's not characterized by immorality, which the word says, world says is fine, but rather it's characterized by that which is good and acceptable and pleasing unto God. You see, the more we continue in this book of Ephesians, the more Paul is going to become uh, so practical for us and help us to understand how we are to walk according to the calling with which we have been called. He's going to give us the assistance in God's word that will help us make it through the difficulties of everyday life and you and I should become more and more willing to submit to his word in our lives as we live for him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for your spirit. Now, we, we, we said in Ephesians 5.18 that that word is not Holy Spirit, but we never want to discredit the work of the spirit in our lives. Father, we understand and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if the Spirit is not helping us understand, we will not know the Word of God. We won't understand how to apply it in life. So, Father, we ask that you'd help us to understand that the Holy Spirit is really what helps us control our own spirit. As we're reading your Word and we're studying your Word and we're applying your Word, your Spirit is helping us direct our spirit with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and, and, and working alongside of one another in the body of Christ for the glory and the honor of our great God. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and the fact that he was guided by your Spirit to write these things for our benefit, for our learning and for our understanding so that we would not be slow in knowing what your will is for our lives. Father, we pray that you would Bless the rest of our day that you would bring us out again tonight to learn more from your word. It's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity to continue walking in light of our learning. 
Father, you, you want us to be gathered together for those opportunities to learn from your word and then to use that in our walk with you. Give us safety as we travel home. Thank you for the safety you granted as everyone arrived here. We ask, Lord, now again that you will bless the rest of our day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.